This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So this is it, last weekday. Last weekday before the mayoral by-election on Monday. Um, Would you like it to last another week? Because I've got news for you, it can't. I mean, all good things must come to an end. It's been, actually it has been kind of fun. I won't lie. I think there's been a spotlight on Toronto um, that I actually think we needed. I think we've asked ourselves better questions. Then we were asking ourselves about what kind of city we want back in October. John Tory ran against Gil Penalosa and he ran against, uh, you already know where I'm at, Chloe Brown, quite smart, quite uh, informed, quite outgoing, quite opinionated. I like that. That's good. Opinionated. I had a teacher put, he's opinionated on my report card once. And I just thought that was the best compliment. There were other words that weren't complimentary, but I thought that's the best compliment. Let's try and keep it that way. You'll never get anywhere in life without opinions. So the people that have weighed in on the mayoral election, like a Chloe Brown, like others, um, they, they can make a difference in our city someday. But I think all of Southern Ontario, I, I realize now, are watching this one much more closely. Maybe not necessarily framing it in their own municipal lenses, but looking at whether or not there's a little bit of a ripple effect, you know, like something crashes into uh, a, a pool of water and it splashes out. Right. If you drop a big basketball inside a bathtub, it's going to make a ripple effect and it's going to splash everywhere. Well, are the Toronto splashes going to touch on Kitchener and London and Guelph and Hamilton and Ottawa and everywhere, basically? And I say that about cost of living. I say that about policy regarding housing and homelessness. They're often interrelated. And what's homelessness also related to mental health? What's homelessness and mental health uh, related to? Often right now, anyway, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, be honest with ourselves and not play games, I don't want to play games. Um, We've got an opioid addiction crisis on our streets. Like I see more people in my neighborhood now and I know the weather's gotten better, so they'd be less likely to there, less likely to be there on January 9th. More people that are clearly out because there's nowhere else to go. So there is nowhere to go for their particular treatment. I'm seeing several people pushing giant shopping carts where they've accumulated items. I'm seeing this in Ajax. I'm seeing this in Scarborough. I'm seeing this in in cities west of Toronto more than I ever used to. I bet you are also. Go and uh, go and YouTube up uh, Neil Young's "Rocking in the Free World" video, and Neil Young basically plays a character who's out on his own and pushing a shopping cart. I mean, this is 34 years ago, but the the video still, the video and the song still hold. I'm seeing dudes looking like they're filming "Rocking in the Free World," and it's not funny, and I'm not trying to be, but they're out there. So how we frame Toronto and where we go is absolutely going to be echoed and accepted or rejected by a lot of other cities. And why didn't we do this in the fall? I still don't have an answer. I Nobody ran against John Tory that really had a great chance of winning. With apologies to Gil Penalosa, with apologies to Chloe Brown. And this time around, if you told me that Olivia Chow was really not going to be as challenged as it looks like she has not been in the polls, I would not have believed it. In fact, she came into the week into the race two weeks after everybody else did. All, all other candidates, Matlow, Bailau, 
um, Fury, Bradford, Hunter. They're all costing out platforms and making moves already. She came in kind of late. I remember we chatted with her the Tuesday after she announced that she was running. And I'll tell you two quick things. One, five days earlier, I had a long conversation with somebody who's very familiar with what I would call the Ontario NDP machinery, and they were sure she wasn't running. They were certain she wasn't getting in. And I'm not 100% sure even now that she, it, it was an overwhelming desire. I think she was asked and asked and asked again and again and again, run, you'll win and will help. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's zero wrong with it, as a matter of fact. Nobody's suggesting that there is. Every politician's going to have, if you're going to complain about the, the you know, Doug Ford's um, machinery and organization or John Tory's machinery and organization, you can't complain then when we point out that Olivia Chow has one also, more than any other candidate. The Ontario Liberal Party's trying to rebuild itself. So nobody from the Ontario Liberal Party has jumped out and, and supported Mitzi Hunter. That's her party. Nobody has supported Josh Matlow, not in the same numbers, not with the same energy, and not with the same voter role, if you will, that the Ontario NDP has provided Olivia Chow. So is she going to be an arm of the Ontario New Democrats? I don't know. I wouldn't go that far, but there's something there. Here was Olivia Chow when she got into the race way back in April. And take a listen and tell me if this sounds like somebody desperate to be in politics after a nine-year absence. It wasn't an easy decision to step back in. But watching moms waiting for affordable housing, watching seniors waiting. I have a friend, Ying, that's been waiting for more than 10 years. Watching people stuck in traffic. Okay. Like, I'm going to tell you, there was some petitioning. Heavy petitioning. Um, there was some, you know, not like, like she was called upon to do this. She was implored is the best word I can use to do this. There's no other way to see it. And that's that's coming from me and that's well sourced. But maybe she's come to enjoy it the more this has gone along and she's going to put the right people around her to help her out uh when when Monday's probably inevitable inevitable result ends up taking place. But it it, it feels still like it was somebody that was kind of urged to do this is the best way I can put it. More on this as the morning continues and now we uh, welcome in what? What is? Who's? Is this Hulk Hogan's? No, it's not. Uh, Shiba Siddiqui joins us now, um, producer for the show. We love her very much, and uh, we're trying to make her cry again really early because last night. <laughs> now I know they didn't play this. We had grad. We had grade eight grad uh, music Thursday for your grad, my grad, and uh, Dave Hunter's grad. And again, Dave looks about twenty three years old. So I'm like, he had an Ed Sheeran song. I'm not sure Ed Sheeran was born. When I graduated in grade eight, but either way, you um, you experienced your first elementary school grad of four, maybe of four. I know you're worried about one of the four. Anyway, <laughs> you, you, you had your first eighth grade graduation last night. Tell us all about it. It was amazing. It was at this hall. It was we all got dressed up, took a ton of pictures. My kids were tired of smiling. <laughs> uh, got there and just watching them. You know, it was just so seeing. It was two classes, two grade eight classes. Seeing them all, like I've seen them all grow up, you know, from they were little kids. They had these slideshows. They walked across the stage and got their diplomas. It was beautiful. I loved it. That's the oddest. 
That's the oddest part, isn't it? Is is you think back to when all of them were six or seven years old? Yeah, and, and they have these all pictures. grown up together. Yeah, yeah. They ask for pictures from the you know from previous years, kids growing up, the teams, the birthday parties, and you just see all of these little, little, tiny, little kids. And that's when I that was hard help for it. me. No, the photo montages are really tough for a parent to to get through those things. And then they had their baby pictures along with their grad picture for each student, and that's when I just started crying. I, I, I think I was the only person in the room, but I started crying. I, I, I haven't had that much loss in my life, but but it's not loss to see somebody growing up in your kid. But I, I'm telling you, like, I'll have I, I, I probably missed up more things like that as you realize the passage of time, you know, more than I will like like funerals because you're like, hey, great life, you know, great life lived. You, you lived for seven or eight decades. Fantastic. However, you, you're you're not in pain anymore. But when you see kids, there are those moments, Sheba, as you know, when you're like, oh, I wish I wish he was six again. I wish I was the center of his universe. I wish he was this. I wish he was that. I do this differently. I wish he had tried this out and stuck with it longer. You get all those things on the on nights like that. Yeah. You do, yeah. But then there's also you just see the bonds of friendship. And then there was apparently there was a we we all we went out for we got kicked out for the dinner and that's dance right. Parents of it. parents must leave. Then it's only yes. kids and, and uh, so, supervisors, which is great. And but we had a dance. So we had like a parent child dance, and it's the first time we him and I have never danced before. So and I told him I'm like, listen, I'm not a real girl. I'm your mom. It doesn't count. <laughs> And so we danced together. He didn't want to, but I was like, I'm pulling the mom card. This is a memory that I'm always going to cherish. So you're dancing with me. So we danced and we went out for dinner, but then we picked him up after and there was an after party at one of the boys' houses, one of the students. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, yeah, all of his friends are going. So he's like, okay, yeah, just drop me off there. I said, okay, have fun. Uh, and the party ends at midnight, but I'm in bed way before then. Heck yeah. I, midnight I, ending for the party on a I Thursday. Know. <laughs> on a Thursday. I, I, there'll be no kids. At, and there's school today, but none of them are going. Do they, yeah, I was going to ask, do they have to stumble into class later today? Somehow and, supposed and watch, to, a, and watch but... two movies? Like, well, some the of them have a track meet today. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Are you curdling after uh, after that? I know. After all those. Because it rained. They had to keep rescheduling because of rain dates. Either way, uh, I wake up this morning and in the parent group chat, all I see is, yeah, the party was crazy last night. Uh, the crazy things that were happening in the pool. And that's all I know. That's solid. And everybody's everybody's fast asleep right now, except for me. I'm thinking, what happened in the pool last Somebody night? Somebody probably just threw a bag of Doritos into the pool or something like that. I'm sure it was, Let's see. Uh, you know, or dump some Sprite in or something. I'll keep you posted. That was probably it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Okay, yeah. New Main Street research polling. Yes, there have been questions about whether Main Street research as accurate as the other polling companies. But look, if you, <laughs> come on. If you're a Chow supporter, you, you can't just whistle past the graveyard when she's up 36 to 13. Bilo and Sanders were at 13 three days ago. Chow's at 36. And then go, whoa, there's something wrong with the polls when she slips to 30 and Anna Bilo climbs to 22. Is there a John Tory factor at play with that endorsement? I mean, the idea that there'd be as many negatives with Tory endorsing as positives was ludicrous. I know that was floated up like a trial balloon and people popped it with a giant pin about it got about five feet in the air before that was easily popped. So it's something, but nobody knows for sure this will be enough to make this a closer race at the least. I'm sure fascinated by this because we've been looking for fascinating things for eight weeks. Is Ed Keen and Toronto Star City Commons? We'll take it. We'll take some controversy. We'll take <laughs> yes. balls dropping. We'll take endorsements. We'll take it all, Ed, at this point. 
something to talk about, right? And something exciting, to t- potentially t- exciting to talk about. There was one journalist who had said to me a while ago, like, man, it'd be nice if there's a horse race here. And, you know, maybe we'll get one. But it really is. I mentioned it before you came on. Um, Tory, because of all all that he got engaged in, if you will, can only go so far. He can't sit down with you for two hours at a time. He can't door knock. He can't sit down with me for half an hour, or at least he's choosing not to. That might yeah. make a difference more than just some robocalls and a six-minute video, it, admittedly, where he talked about himself for four of the six minutes, but I digress. Like, it's not, it may not be enough, but he's he's out there, but he's not all the way out there, is he? It, no, and uh, and I think uh, John Tory since, Ever since the day he announced his resignation, he has not done any that I can recall um, media opportunities where he has to face no. questioning, where he might be asked more details about his scandal at all. Uh, like even his his speeches and announcements, he took no questions before he resigned, after he resigned, when he left, uh, and now he he hasn't appeared in an event where he might be asked questions uh, and follow ups and all of that. Um, so it, the one thing I, the one thing I'd note about the Main Street poll, and of course they've been an outlier all along in terms of how strong they think Bilal is, is that you know this poll basically puts uh, Chow and Bilal respectively very close to where Main Street had them one week ago. Right. And the poll right. in the middle that showed the, the gap widening was kind of an outlier according to Main Street's own sort of trajectory. Uh, I expected. Uh, and, and I wrote that I didn't think I, I was skeptical that this could turn the entire election on its head. And we'll see. But I, I do think I expected some kind of bump for Bailao. Um, and I also expect that she's going to have a really good get out the vote operation. And so I, I think uh, for for any Chow supporters out there, the wake up call here, because I, I don't think Chow's picking up a lot of support at this point. I think the people who, who liked her already liked her, and the people who were not supporting her have made a decision not to support her. So I, I think if there are Chow supporters out there, the, the message is you got to get out and vote. Or if you were thinking, hey, maybe I'll vote for Chloe Brown because, because I think she's a great job and Chow's going to win anyway, uh, then, then this might cause you to rethink. Because I do think this is not going to have no effect at all. No, it's not. I, I'm looking back at it at a forum research poll um, that was May 7th, and you had to get in by May 8th um, in, in terms of putting your name in. But the mayoral polling results, were he to have entered, had John Tory at 42%, Olivia Chow at 21%, and nobody else higher than 9%, and that, and that was Josh Mallow. Anna Baila was at 3% in this poll. So again, you can't have everything, but if 42% of people, and I'd buy, I'd buy that, who would say if, if Tory went back in, I'd vote for him just like I did in, in October. His word and influence after eight and a half years still means something based on the last three days. It does. Yeah, I think it's one of the mysteries of the Toronto electorate that you can have an election where everybody agrees change is needed. <laughs> right? <laughs> this city is just full of problems, uh, and everything from TTC cuts that were made just like less than a year ago need to be reversed uh, to like crime and safety is a, is a massive problem. Everybody can agree change is needed. Uh, but everybody also says, well, you know, I'd vote for the same guy again if he if he were running again, even despite the scandals. But I, I do think 
uh, that, that Tori is just kind of genuinely well-liked personally. And that's almost detached from, from people's perception of the city government itself. And, and they'd vote for him again. I mean, the big question with an endorsement like this is whether that sort of personal credibility, uh, like voting that I think is often based on, he seems like a nice guy, right? And he seems like he knows what he's doing. Uh, whether the, whether yeah. he could transfer that. But I do think that for a candidate like Bailau, who one of, one of her big problems all along has been that people are kind of like, ah, I just don't know that much about her. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I think maybe uh, I expect that there's some, and I also expect in a race where the the opposition to the front runner has been equally divided between a few different candidates or not quite equally, but scattered among a few different candidates, any sense that one of them is the anybody but Chow candidate legitimately uh, might cause quite a few voters to to switch to that lane. Ed Keenan's our guest on Toronto today on 640 Toronto with Greg Brady. And and I, I don't want to make this too exclusive just to you and I, but I know you've seen internal polling. I have as well. And and if there were to be any form of a ranked ballot here, Chow would be in trouble because everything I see is she's very few people's second choice, Ed, very few people's third. People are either all in with her or they're not. Where is the Bylaws and the Matlows? And maybe even the Mitzi Hunters, like like people like enough to say, oh, she'd be my second or third choice. A rank ballot would be a problem. First past the post works for Olivia Chow. Rank balloting wouldn't. Well, I, I mean, it, it depends. I haven't I haven't seen a, maybe the same internal polling that you've seen. I know Ipsos's public polling showed that Olivia Chow was the number one second choice of voters, but but. You know, I, I do think that actually we, we should have a ranked ballot or a runoff in this city, and that yeah. might change this election entirely, because I do think, you know, Olivia Chow has a hard time getting up over 50%, I think, even on a ranked ballot. And so this is a case where where the people who don't like, there's three different candidates, at least, claiming to be the anybody but Chow candidate right now. And so if a poll like this, I mean, Main Street has consistently said Bailout is ahead of where everybody else says she is. But if people look at this and, and say, well, with the endorsements, uh, this, this means she's the other one, the, the one true alternative, uh, then it could be a lot closer on Election Day than we expected it to be a few days ago. I think to your point, I think we have seen um, first Saunders, then Fury, now Bylaw say, I'm the only person that can beat Olivia, Olivia Chow, which makes it almost like um, a Maury Povich episode where you bring three guys out and you're like, well, one of you's the father of, uh, of the... <laughs> And around minute 56, we'll find, like, like, how can you have three people that can be the only people to beat Olivia Chow? That math, that, that math doesn't add up. It's only, if, if you're the only person, you're the only person. And in, in somehow in this analogy, John Tory himself. <laughs> oh, gosh, Ged. Oh, gosh. I didn't mean, <laughs> didn't mean to walk you into that cave. Um, <laughs> what, when we look at, at who's set themselves up, I remember I asked former Mayor David Miller this, um, and I said, who has set them up well for 26? I'm going to tell you that a month ago, I would have absolutely said Josh Matlow would run again in 2026. I, I'm worried this process has worn him out. I think he's a bit forlorn about, about where he's at. And I, if you told me 
that he'd poll at any point under 10%, I'd be like, what is going on? And I'm sure he's asking that 50 times more than I am. What do you see for his political future if the result is a fifth place finish and he's eight or 9%? I think that's madness. Well, and I think that's especially despite the fact that, that he's run actually a really strong campaign. Yes. Um, and he's been a victim here, I think, that on the left, uh, we did see a sort of a, a unofficial primary where early on Olivia Chow and Josh Matlow were actually kind of close in the polls or Matlow was leading the other candidates behind Chow. Um, and then, and then Chow slowly sort of grew seven, eight, 9%, depending on the poll. She continued to lead, but, but, you know, Matlow's down, maybe that seven, same mm-hmm. seven, eight, 9%. And I think voters who, who are receptive to a message that we need, uh, bigger government and higher taxes made their choice of who they thought could win this thing. And that's only mm. just now starting to happen among the other candidates that there's any kind of, of, of that narrowing of the field. I think for Josh Matlow, his future prospects depend a lot on, you know, if Olivia Chow were to win this thing and Josh Matlow could find a way to get along with her and play a key role. Um, yeah. Role. Uh, I mean, she's she's been involved in politics for a long time. It, it's not clear to me that she plans to stick around for three terms. Although maybe, right? But right. you know, he he could be setting himself up for the future that way. But mm. if he winds up being once again sort of the odd man out and the leader of the opposition at council, uh, it's a harder row for him. And I. I, I do think Anthony Fury has set himself up really well for the future. I don't think this will be the only time he's run. He's, he's swung his leg over the political fence, and, and uh, people wonder. I said this earlier in the show. People wondered, would he take it seriously? He has. Would he do the work? He certainly has done that. And would people take him seriously? And those two things don't often interchange. And he's checked all those boxes. I got to get out of here. Give me 30 seconds. Do you expect any kind of any kind of bomb to drop? More John Tory, a big candidate throwing their support behind somebody else. Any bombs in the next 48 hours? <laughs> I, I don't, but I could be surprised. I mean, the thing about a last-minute surprise would be that it's a surprise. Mm. What I do expect is the uh, impact of this to keep resonating out there and for all of the campaigns, including Olivia Chow's, to be pointing at this and saying, okay, now you got to get out and vote. You absolutely have to get out and vote. Ed, thanks for this. Have a great weekend. I know we'll be uh, talking on Monday on Election Day. Thanks for this. Greg, it's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Have a great weekend. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let me tell you this. If you haven't decided, we want people to vote for mayor. I'd like to see a turnout that's close to 40%. I actually think that would say something. If we're stuck under 30, we're going to be looking around each other going, was it you? Was it you? Who, who was the person amongst us that voted? But if you haven't decided yet, or you're not terribly convinced or convicted as to who to vote for, I want you to go to selinaformayorto.com and I want you to check out our next guest plan for the future. She's former liberal MP. Selena Cesar Chavan. It's great to have you back on the show. Uh, you're coming to the end of a long marathon of campaigning. How's it all been going these last couple of weeks? Uh, Greg, thank you for having me. It has been uh, it has been a slug. Mm-hmm. We've uh, we've we've we tried to get to as many doors as possible. Um, it has been it has been a challenge trying to break through the din of other candidates, but it has also been an absolute pleasure to to get into this race and to try to share my ideas for a better Toronto with, uh, with the folks on the ground. Well, 
you, you, I know you've discussed it publicly is the idea of this is just such a different feel than trying to become a municipal counselor or even trying to win a riding. You won, you won convincingly in, in Whitby by a couple thousand votes in 2015, but you had 29,000 votes. Where I lived in Ajax, the recent MPP won with 16,000 votes. Like, like you don't need to canvas a massive area. We, we might think, I know 15,000 people who know me, but the city of Toronto, when there's potentially, you know, a few million voters, that's a different story trying to get everywhere at all times, isn't it? It is a different story. And I think, you know, what you said right off the top, getting people out to vote, getting people engaged, this is going to be a really critical election. I heard some of the commercials that were played right. uh, just before I came on talking about, you know, Toronto's not affordable, Toronto's not safe. Toronto also has a very challenging fiscal or financial problem. And getting someone in there that is not going to, you know, have the big, shiny, flashy things, but really get down to the fundamentals of fixing uh, what I call the fact that Toronto doesn't have the appropriate revenue streams for a big city is going to be a big challenge. And, you know, you want people who haven't been engaged before to know that, to know that we're going to be doing things different, but also that I have a vision for Toronto that is more than just put a tax on something and put more constables in the, on the road. Well, I think there's an element of mixing in fiscal responsibility, but also with you know, a human heart and a level of compassion. I know that's why you got into politics. You were part of a new generation of politicians that kind of, to me, Selena, I mean this, I, I think people like you, people maybe even like Nate Erskine-Smith, um, who was in it, like, I think he was 28 when he ran in 2015. You kind of saved the, the federal liberal party. And I look and I go, younger people getting engaged by sort of bringing it up the middle and saying, of course, we need to make sure people don't fall through the cracks. But we can't just spend money, um, you know, to be to use the phrase like a drunken sailor. We can't do it that way. Correct. Correct. Absolutely correct. And and you hit the nail right on the head. It's about saying, you know, at a time where we're talking about a pandemic recovery period, um, inflation, where things are really inaffordable for a lot of people. We are using the same old stale models of politics and policy to govern a city that really needs someone that says, hey, no, 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 we've done this before. And if we look at the research, if we look at ways in which big cities are run, we could do things just a little bit better, but it requires a visionary uh, leader who would think that way. And unfortunately, Toronto deserves better than what I've seen in some of the platforms. Toronto deserves better than the, the policies, even that the mm. front runner is, bring, is bringing forward. It's not just about taxing everything and saying, well, we don't know how much we're going to increase property taxes by. That is not the only way to, to build revenues into a city as big as Toronto. There are other innovative ways to do it, leveraging the political capital of the city of Toronto, the people that are there to say, hey, to the feds and to the province, let's carve out a different funding formula for social assistance and social housing. And that requires someone who isn't, a, you know, a, a career politician who does the same thing over and over and again and expects different results. It's somebody new, somebody fresh. You mentioned Nate. Nate is fantastic. Um, but it you know, having those new ideas is what I bring to the table. And I'm, I'm not afraid to push back against the status quo and say, hey, why haven't we thought of this? 
and why aren't we doing it? Selena Cesar Chavan, our guest on 640 Toronto on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. I know you do the prep and I know you dig in and, and do the work. Um, what other cities do you look at in North America, even in Europe, and you go, we could take a lesson from what City A or City B is doing? Yeah, New York, Chicago. You know, there's a, there's a number of different examples where you use property taxes for public services, user fees for private services, and a different form of a different uh, revenue source for social assistance and social housing. And great, I want people to remember and know that in Ontario exclusively, those two pockets, most expensive pockets, social assistance and social housing, were downloaded to the municipalities by the feds and the province without the correct funding formula. Other jurisdictions have decided that they're going to use a specific earmarked fund for those. We use property taxes. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing that? It doesn't make any sense. We need to have the political will, which I don't think some of the front runners have, to really push back against the feds in the province and say we need an absolute new funding formula for those two specific items. They've done it in other jurisdictions, as you said, across North America. Big cities in other parts of the world have used that same funding formula to run a city effectively. And this is not something that's exciting. It's not the most exciting thing to talk about when we're talking about revenues, but it's fundamental to the future of Toronto to get this right. And as I said, I'm putting my skin in the game and saying that I'll make this negotiation happen within two years, leveraging the fact that we might be having a federal election in two years, Mm -hmm. leveraging the political power of Toronto to say that Toronto has always showed up for the feds, has always voted. Um, Let's make sure that the feds now show up in a way that is tangible for the city of Toronto. And you know what, like you, the way you put that, every other municipality in all of Ontario, let alone Southern Ontario, kind of needs to root for Toronto. They don't have to, they don't have to just lay down and, and, and give us, give us what they need. But you and I know Durham well enough. Look at Kitchener, London. I see a stat the other day that London, Ontario rent is more than Paris, Barcelona, Tokyo. Why do you think that is? It's it's just all these shockwaves coming from our city. That's what's happening. That is absolutely correct. This is is a leadership moment. I, I, I cannot express this enough. This is a leadership moment for Toronto. If Toronto could lead the charge in Ontario, again, this is only Ontario where this has happened, where mm-hmm. it's been downloaded. We really need to say, well, what is going to happen to other jurisdictions? How can Toronto actually fix this problem, not just for itself, but, I mean, Oshawa, I, like you know, as you said, other just Hamilton, you name it, where, where some of your listeners are calling in front of listening. If we decide to go down the road where a city like Toronto just decides that it's going to increase property taxes to fix all of its problems, then we are going to have a, a problem in other jurisdictions where things are already inaffordable. We need vision. And this is, and, and Toronto deserves a mayor that has the vision to dig deep, to look at what the research says, to look at what other jurisdictions are doing and doing well, and not to say, here, let's just apply it to Toronto, but to, to look at it in a way that, hey, yeah. this is something that we did incorrectly. Let's fix it 
and have the vision to do it well. You can go to selinaformerto.com to find out more about her campaign. I got about a minute here. I'm not asking you just for the sake of it to to dig in on the front runner here, but I want to know what how you view an Olivia Chow Toronto and, and how it's going to be. I don't know anybody, Selena, that doesn't think she'll have the highest tax rate. They think that, and I don't know anybody who's put a platform out that kind of has fewer details. We can think what we want about Josh Matlow, Mitzi Hunter, whomever, but I they're giving details and they're costing things out, and uh, people aren't seeing that with Olivia. You know what? I, I, I really, I don't want to, uh, you know, dig into her, but her plan lacked creativity, it lacked innovation, and more importantly and fundamentally, it lacks the vision that Toronto and Torontonians deserve. It's a basic plan, and it's not even a plan that comes out of the NDP playbook. Like, it is tax, 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 and I, I just, I can't see it happening for Toronto, and I would be very disappointed if this is the direction in which Toronto goes in at a time, again, when we're in a recovery period where things are inaffordable and, mm. you know, this is the way that we go. I, it's just, it, I'm shaking my head over here wondering where did the wheels fall off on this race? Well, I know you're going to bust it through the weekend and even on Monday. And I, I'm telling you for, for a lot of our listeners and for me too, stay, stay in this fight. Don't disappear from politics. I think we need people like you in it making differences. I do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Greg. Selena Cesar Chavan joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Well, we're very pleased to welcome on to Toronto Today somebody who's just played in Toronto last year, actually at a refurbished Massey Hall. She'll be in Ottawa for Canada Day celebrations. But prior to that, this Saturday, um, second major artist to play at Pickering Casino Resort. Brian Adams opened the place a month ago. So um, it's uh, it's uh, the five star clients, the heavy hitters and the, oh, uh, the the superb Jan Arden will be there on Saturday night. Brian Adams is in bad company. You're, you're second out of the gate. He didn't complain too much. No, no. He was my opening act. So <laughs> I'm, that's what's going on my, my, my resume and I'm sticking to it. Yes. August the 25th. I'm going to be there. The, some of these state of the art, you know, event places that they're making are so fun for us to play because mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you walk in and the per, the in-house production is just like, oh, yeah. it's like, wow, they've got that. Wow, they've got that. So, you know, for touring acts, um, to come in and do these shows, it really is so fun because you got all the bells and whistles. Well, you play. Tell me about Massey Hall because I walked in there last spring and you're like, oh, very different. And it did like what? What was a refurbished Massey Hall like for you last spring? It was bittersweet because mm-hmm. um, there was something about the original stuff, the walls. The it's almost maybe it's just through osmosis. You know, you you could just picture what those walls had absorbed and seen and been witness to, you know, the seats that had more gas in them than, you know, any other seat probably across Canada with the butts, you know, wedged Mm -hmm. in there watching everybody from Bonnie Raitt to Sting to Prince to, you know, you name it, the people that have have played that hall, Gordon Lightfoot played it more than anybody else in history. Um, He was, you know, really renowned for being the guy in Massey Hall you know, for me, it didn't feel the same, but I'm glad that money is being spent on cultural, iconic places like that. Uh, the sound, obviously, is much improved. I think the sight lines are much mm-hmm. improved. There's a lot of people that were stuck behind poles. So, yeah, they spent a lot of time and money to to get it right. So I look forward to playing there a few more times before I kick my clogs. 
Jan Arden's kind enough to join us. She's at Pickering Casino Resort this Saturday evening. I hope I hope uh, people are going to show up at Pickering. I'll be there. I've got my outfit picked out. I've got a new bra. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, and and I want to ask you about albums because I I think our parents used to say this about us. So your generation doesn't have attention span. And I love albums. And I used to work in I just worked in music retail when I was in university for a couple of years. And this is when we discovered we all discovered Living Under June. We must have played that album a ton. Um, I will tell you a funny story. Good Mother, I think, was in an episode of Party a Party of Five. You remember that show, yeah. With, yeah. right? And and I swear I don't remember the scene. But I basically burst into tears and my girlfriend's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm, I think I was we were about to break up three months later, but whatever. Oh, I don't God. know that whether that was an impetus or not. Either way, do you listen to albums the same way? I used to love digging into them and putting them on. Yeah. And now we're all Spotify and we're well, playlists and we're rapid fire. Yeah. Do, you, do you listen to albums yeah. like you used to? Yeah, the sequence means everything. I, I have my a whole bunch of LPs. I've got stuff, you know, from junior high. I've got 45s. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love a sequence of a record. I love the stories. I used to be that kid laying on the carpeting in the basement, you know, with headphones on reading every, every inch of that album, you know, I'd open it up and I was just so thrilled that the lyrics were written on the inside jacket and they had pictures and who played what on songs. And yeah, I, I think that is a bit lost. You know, a lot of people are discovering that playlists, you know, aren't the end all be all. You know, it's convenient to hit a button and have, you know, the dinner list, the after dinner party mix and, you know, all that stuff. But I think that storytelling does kind of get lost and you're hearing songs that you've never heard before, which is great. But there is a real there was a there was a real rhyme and a reason for why artists spent hours sequencing a record. What song came after what song? I remember, you know, living under June, my producer, Ed Cherney there was lots of discussions on how long the pauses would be in between the songs. And I think back to those days and I'm like, wow. I mean, that that was even a consideration seems so wild, but it, it was important. And I still believe in that. And it's so great that the kids are kind of digging back through the archives and discovering stuff. I mean, my, my niece is wild for the Grease soundtrack. <laughs> like yeah. she's, you know, 23 years old. Oh my God. I just loved Greece. John Travolta was hot. I'm like, cool. <laughs> uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about one of the most important things probably you've ever done because you've just, you've done it all. And, and in, in a lot of different mediums as well. Um, but the live export of horses is so important. You have heard Jan with, with Jody Vance before Jody and I know each other a little bit talking about it and Jody's a superstar like yourself I it's I and I saw even this week like we've been just we've been slow on this in Canada why have we been slow and how much have you had to like work and push to spread the word about this I think it's worked but it's taken it's all of it's taken way longer than it should have hasn't it well it's very purposeful you know they they load purpose bread so that's the that's the beginning of the story is that these horses these deer horses are bred in giant feedlots here and in Manitoba and, and they fatten them up very quickly. Like they would a chicken. It, it, you make a very good point. You know, why didn't people know about it? Well, they do it at four o'clock in the morning. The loads yeah. go out at four in the morning. It's not like you're sitting on your West jet plane, going to Cancun and looking across the field and like, are they loading horses onto that plane? It would never fly. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. It would never be something a five-year-old would tell you, why are they doing that to the horses, mommy? 
So anyway, this, our campaign was all about awareness and we can't say it on the radio, but it's horseshit.ca. Right. Just do the math in your head. Um, and our whole thing, the last four years has been awareness, 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 letting people know what's happening. And that's how animal activism goes. I mean, I, I just give so much kudos to people like yourself and Jody Vance that even want to broach the subject, but we're making gains. Liberal government mandated that it be banned, but you know, these, these things take so much time going through the house of commons and, you know, bills have to be introduced and two bills are being introduced by the Senate and the house. We are getting that much traction that they're like saying, listen, this was mandated. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, Honorable Marie-Claude Bubeau, the Minister of Agriculture, why is this not happening? You've had 14 months now in order to, you know, start making real progress and stopping this. Um, and, and I just want to make a point that we're not telling people what to eat or how to eat. But this is a time in our lives where every government on the planet is telling its citizens, watch your carbon footprint. Don't fly so much. Eat local. Don't eat so much meat. You know, be carpool. You know, all these all these things we're being asked to do. And the horse export out of Canada to Japan for rich people to eat raw is the antithesis of what what changing the narrative of where this planet is headed is all about. And it's and it's incredibly cruel on top of all the scientific stuff that goes with why don't we you know, why do we need to stop this? This is an absolutely abhorrent, sinister part of Canadian agriculture. And uh, it's just simply not right. I'm willing to hear a counter argument to a lot of things. This is not. Oh, they never. We haven't heard a this, peep out of them. This which is, is one so of them. funny. Yeah. 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 We haven't heard a peep out of them. Uh, we had one 80 year old gentleman that is the head of sort of the some, the operation out of Ottawa say they go on there. No problem. They just go to sleep. Oh. Well, I've been to so many of the loads out of the Calgary airport that I don't sleep for like three weeks. It's not good. And it's done behind 15 foot walls. So you tell me, yeah. you know, it, about transparency there, they do it because they don't, they do it that way because they don't want people to know, but now people know. Yeah. Well, and they're going to, we're never going to give up. We'll never give up until it's over. No, nah, you, you should be proud of that advocacy. Um, Very much so. Very much so. Um, Thank you very wanna much. Rem- I want to remind people Saturday night, of course. Um, Pickering. Pickering Casino Resort in uh, in Pickering, Ontario, uh, at this brand new, amazing venue. Uh, you'll get to see multi-Juno Award winner Jan Arden. Thanks so much for giving us your time on the show and for doing My what you do and being who you are. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to have Jan Arden on. So that's tomorrow night at uh, Pickering Casino Resort. All those roads have been cleared up now. I thought you could get to the 401 in Brock to see that particular show. I'll get, and quickly in, 1995 Juno Awards. She won Female Vocalist of the Year. Uh, that's great. But she won uh, Songwriter of the Year over Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Jim Cuddy, and Greg Keeler from Blue Rodeo, who will be at Bud Stage in August. And yeah, Mr. Brian Adams. She won Songwriter of the Year. It doesn't get much bigger than that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Sheba, I'll run this past you. This was two days ago on June 21st. Main Street polling had um, Olivia Chow sitting in great shape at 36%. Bylaw 13. Saunders 13. Matt Lowe 12. Fury 7. Hunter 7. Chloe Brown at 4%, Brad Bradford at 3%. That's June 20th, I should say. So that's that Tuesday. Um, Now, today, this morning, 
Remember what I said about Chow and Bailao, 36 to 13. Main Street Research put a tweet out at 7.01 a.m. this morning. They have Olivia Chow at 30% and Anna Bailao at 22% and Anthony Fury at 13%. So when I say that, Sheba, I know it, it sounds like that's a lot to gain in a hurry, but is that... You know, is that the Tory factor right there? If, if we've got people running around, remember even in April saying, you know what? If John Tory re-entered into the race, even though he's under investigation from City Hall himself for his affair with a staffer, would he win? Does yes, John Tory's so. influence play enough of a role, given that he walked, crawled, you know, crawled backwards to a, a huge election mandate last fall? Is that enough to push Anna Bailao up? to 22 percent it's a fair question well this is exactly what happened as soon as he came out and endorsed her look what happened in the polls uh, and there are a lot of people who say don't listen to the polls right. the polls are inaccurate and this and that and i'm really interested to see the outcome of this election because of all of the polling that's been happening i do want to see how accurate it is or is not uh and anna's up in the polls i'm not surprised at this that he came forward and i do believe that if he were to have rerun in this election which would have been very controversial. I think he would have won. Yeah, the integrity people would have waited, voted him in. The integrity commissioner for the city yesterday did um, did mention that there's still an investigation happening now. When again, all these journalism questions: when, how, what, where, all of it. Um, is, will we ever know all those specifics? Given this was somebody that was on the public payroll, given these no. were tax dollars, you don't. Well, I think we're going to know more than we know right now, even if it's not. But from we won't John know Tory. the whole story. We will never know the whole story. I think John Tory is going to ensure we never know the whole story. Like I know, I know you and I weren't doing the show together uh, in in March of 2020. But I remember when we were starting to have stuff get shut down. I remember this really well. It was probably the last week all our kids were in school. Remember, what was it? They were going to March break and then they announced on the Friday or maybe the Thursday. They're like, we're out of school now for two weeks. Right. After March break. You remember that in mid-March and you're like, oh, boy, I do. here we go. This is trouble. And then the NBA is shutting down and then Tom Hanks gets coronavirus. And so we go back to that era. I remember Tori took that trip to London and I'm like. This feels like the walls are closing in on us. St. Patrick's Day is coming. And I remember watching Christine Elliott and Dr. David Williams at a news conference. And Christine Elliott's like, we're going to keep the bars over St. Patrick's Day. But, but you know, just use some caution there. And I remember being out even for dinner the, the Saturday before we shut everything down on the Thursday. And, and like, we we're almost like, oh, this will be the last time we get to go have dinner for a while. But Tory flies to London. And I'm like, what's he doing? Why is he, <laughs> why is he going to London, England? And now... We have a better sense why you he was going. It, really? I, d- so you I really did. did. Question- I swear to God, I did I on did the radio not. in March of 2020 because it just wow. felt like everybody should be sort of backing off their travel. Like, But you- I had full trust in him. That was my mistake, my naivety. I had full trust in John Tory. He had not let us down. He's um, seemed like a man of his word. Mm-hmm. He tried to do, the, you know, he's at the, he's out there shaking your hand. He's out there doing everything possible. He's never had a controversy or a scandal that I've ever heard of, a whisper of it. You got it. And so was thought- and wasn't that the concept of people voting for him in 2014? I won't be Rob Ford. I won't. You won't see videotapes of me. <laughs> you won't see me. Uh, you know. Uh, I want to see videotapes. Drunk at night at 1 a.m. at a pierogi shop, yelling and screaming and waving my arms around like like a maniac. Like that, we were starting to get embarrassed. I'm never going to go on Jimmy Kimmel and talk about how many times I've smoked crack. 
Oh my Did God. Did you see that Jimmy Kimmel yes. episode? That yes. was incredible. He came out. He was wearing all black. He had on a red tie. And I remember the first thing Jimmy asked him was, are you a clown? Uh, yes. But he made it. And Doug was in the background. Doug was his manager. Doug was backstage at that time. And they did a little close up on Doug standing backstage. Both of them, huge smiles on their right. faces. They made it. You're on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Yeah. You never think you will be. So if, but if this is accurate in two, in three days, if Chow's gone from 36 to 30%, if bylaw has gone from 13 to 22%, and I see all this skepticism, but I'm seeing skepticism from people who've been backing Olivia Chow from the beginning. Oh, those can't be right. Those numbers can't be right. Well, think what you want, um, because if the other poll's showing that she, the same poll just showed she, your girl was up 36 to 13. Now she's 30 to 30 to 30 to 22, and maybe the necks are starting to get a little tighter. And I'll tell you this. If I don't know how he could do it, Sheba, but John Tory should be in this studio this morning. If he really wants this for Adam Bailau, he should be here. He should be at a news conference. He should be knocking on doors and he should have to absorb every question imaginable from voters, from me, from TV, uh, from the Alan Carters. He should have to answer the John Oakley's. He should be on every damn show this morning that could he could possibly be on. Instead, we've got a we got a robocall. And we've got a video, and the video to me now, three days later, looks more like, like honestly, you it, have him, it looks more like a hostage I, video now. It does. He's okay, reading off a teleprompter. I get him in. If I somehow get in touch with him within the next 10 minutes, get him in, 8.05, he's here, <laughs> he's on the phone with you. Are you asking him about the affair? You have to, but he doesn't have to that's answer. Why he's not, well, that's why he's not doing it. That's why he's in hiding. That's why he's randomly showing up at football games in very controlled environments as well. That he's never going to. Then how bad does he? How bad time. does he want Anna Bailao to be mayor? I don't know if he wants Anna Bailao to be mayor right. as much as he doesn't want Olivia Chow right. to be mayor. Right. I think that's really what. It, let me ask you this: Did you see Anthony Fury pulling third ever at some point? Um, when the campaign started, absolutely not. Now I'm convinced he'll finish in the top five. I'm convinced yeah, that he I agree will. With you. I did not see that coming. It's it, and of this poll, we mentioned it. So this is brand new Main Street Research polling. Chow thirty, Bylaw twenty two, Fury thirteen, Saunders twelve, Madlow nine hundred five, Brown and Bradford are at two percent. I almost wonder for the Bradford campaign, are you better off pushing your support behind Anna? If you really want to stop Olivia Chow, because then if you have a bad result, I do think Brad Bradford's gonna run again for mayor. I do think that. Do you get out? Push behind Anna, you know, grit your teeth because they've been they've been at loggerheads and odds during this campaign. But if you want to stop Olivia Chow, you throw you tell all your supporters, go vote for Anna on Monday. And at but least then you got a fighting because then then you don't have to own the result if you don't like the result. When you say if he gets three percent on Monday, that's that's loud. Oh, so he's saving face. Kind That's of. That's what you're saying. He's saving his face. OK. Can I convince you that that would be better for him I didn't to know save you'd face be that low? I didn't know he would be rock bottom. And maybe he won't. Bradford. Maybe he gets 6 or 7 or 8%. Josh Matlow's result, I like like if you told me at the start of this, he'd pull under 10% at any point in time. I I just said you were living on planet delusional. There's no way that'll there's no circumstance or people that could get in the race for that to happen. But here we are. It's got its potential there, doesn't it? It does. And I will say, I mean, I I don't even know who who I would uh, at this point there's I'm still confused but uh, you know some parts of it are clear but I one thing I will say about Josh mm -hmm. Matlow is you know we see behind the scenes what happens here and there and you see the mudslinging you see people playing a mm -hmm. little bit dirty he has just refused to 
And when he's had accusations come out about him, I have reached out to his people and said, hey, let's get him on. Let him talk about mm -hmm. these. Let him clear the air. And they're like, no, we're not going to participate in that. He mm. doesn't want to talk about, he doesn't, he doesn't want to get involved in the mudslinging, which is something I do respect about him. Mm. I do think though, if you're running for mayor, there has to be some mudslinging, any type of politician. Yeah. And when you're, the higher you go, I do feel like you have to play a little bit dirty. That's what they're good it, at. Yeah. It, it, it somehow gives you that sort of, you know, Gordon Gecko killer instinct, I suppose, at the end of the day.